welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to our Not Just Crew 7 o'clock Monday night show. Well, this evening, we are so lucky to have on this evening's show the one and only Louis Cabrera, who is the former CEO of Lonely Planet, and uh, he is the creator of a budget travel company, which is uh, launched out in the US of A. So join us tonight with myself and Trevor and the one and only Louis Cabrera. Well, the Lonely Planet was founded in 1972 by Tony and Maureen Wheeler as they travelled through Europe, Asia and Australia. It was an immediate hit on the 1970s hippie trail and of course with backpackers. It also became an iconic brand and with the coming computer age, the Lonely Planet made several but unsuccessful attempts to publish in a digital format. With falling sales, Louis Cabrera was brought in to bring in and save this famous brand and to bring it into the visual app age. Well, this video you're seeing now is courtesy of the uh, Lonely Planet, and a big thanks to uh, Louis for appearing on tonight. Not just crew. So, ladies and gentlemen. For many, many months now, I've been trying to uh, contact this gentleman. We have had conversations, but obviously with Christmas and the New Year uh, getting in the way of things, tonight has been the time that, luckily for us at Not Just Crew, we've been able to have Louis Cabrera, uh, former CEO of Lonely Planet, and many other, many other companies, I might add, uh, on board this evening. Sure. Now, I know Trevor was very keen to interview this gentleman. Uh, and so I'll hand you over to Trevor. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Si. Yeah, it, I mean, what what a coup, and thank you so much for getting him in the end. It's something we talked about for a long time. Um, I was ever sure whether we'd better get him on our uh, little, little show, but he uh, he seemed to really, really enjoy it. I think he felt qu quite quite relaxed in the end, and uh, when we filmed this, we, ha we had to pre-record this for uh, we could only get him on certain dates. I was in Lagos. Uh, you, you were still uh, in uh, Northumberland, um, and he was in in the states. And the uh, signal was absolutely brilliant, but apart from one small glitch, which, which you'll see. Mm -hmm. um, the signal was brilliant. Um, we, we've had problems in the past with um, delaying sounds, uh, but we didn't we didn't seem to have that. But no, I wanted this guy on. I am absolutely a big love of the uh, Lonely Planet and uh, uh, Julie, my partner. We we. We were talk we were talking about it because it, it used to be the traveler's bible um anywhere from the hippie trail in the 1960s to places like afghanistan when you could sort of visit there india so all the backpackers this is pre uh, internet pre mobile phones we could just text um so it was a a really really good really really good book but i wanted to uh, although he wasn't the founder of it i it went for a very difficult patch when the uh, whole globe sort of went digital, really. Now, he was brought in pretty much to uh, rescue this uh, iconic uh, title. So w it was a real, real pleasure to have him aboard. I'm so, I'm so glad we did. I think you yeah. you know you know a lot more about it now than, than you did before. Well, to be honest, I'd never really even heard of the Lonely Planet before you mentioned it. And uh, obviously, <laughs> we had, we had the, the interview with Louis. But uh, it's something that's clearly still very close to his heart. And he's, he's very grateful and uh, still very connected to yeah. uh, the guys associated with Lonely Planet. So, listen, 
let's uh, let's just sit back, relax, and uh, we hope you enjoy this evening's show. Uh, Definitely. With, with Louis Cabrera. Take care. It's brilliant. Enjoy. So, Lewis, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, what we really want to know is your your early uh, your early years, how you got into this uh, industry, into business, and was it always your first interest? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So, I I was born and raised in Mexico City. I studied communications, media, basically, uh, and I started working in technology very, very, very early on. So, back in the days when the websites were built with something called front page yeah. and um, and I started developing websites getting and I got a lot of interesting technology and that interest took me to work at tech firms web development firms that later on were bought by consultancy firms and all of a sudden probably seven eight years later I became a consultant uh, doing mostly marketing and media and technology, that intersection. Uh, that's what I was specializing on. Um, then moved to Argentina for about a year. I lived down there in Argentina. Um, that was early 2000s. Um, I developed some really interesting pieces of technology around knowledge management. Back then, companies were all crazy going, uh, we need an intranet. Uh, so that was what yeah. I was doing, and that was super fun. And when I finished those projects, I was shipped then to Miami uh, because now I needed to sell whatever I was building down south. So I I stayed in the consulting world for a little while, and then I was approached by WPP Advertising, uh, and they made an offer that one as a young individual cannot refuse going and live in New York City, having a little nice corner office in 285 Madison Avenue. So oh, I was that. living the life. <laughs> wow. um, and I was the digital guy at the agency. Again, very early days of being digital. And <laughs> most of the times I was called in to connect the projector when it comes to all digital things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we did some really interesting things for some large brands, uh, won a couple of awards and so on. Um, then social media came into the scene. And I, I've been probably always chasing trends and technologies. And, and, I, and then I moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, and I joined this company that was um, New Media Strategies, which is the first company that coined the term Web 2.0. And oh, it was wow, basically yeah. it was basically bloggers outreach, participation in forums, uh, what we call today digital PR uh, and brand protection. So went there. Then um, my wife and I decided to go back to Mexico uh, for a couple of years. I was there working for another advertising agency. Then one of the my previous bosses called me. We founded a company, moved back to San Francisco and then to Miami. Um, doing my own company again in technology and doing the first mobile apps on iPads. We figure out that if it was so easy to check the weather on your phone, it'll yeah. be so much easier or doing businesses on, the, on these devices should be as easy as that. So we decided to go enterprise mode and we try to connect the big enterprise systems, the oracles of the world and the SAPs of the world into your phone. Um, 
the company is still there. It didn't become the Google that I was hoping for. And, and then I was called by another large consulting firm, uh, Boston Consulting Group. Uh, and that's one of the other opportunities that you don't, just don't let pass. So right. I joined <laughs> I joined BCG and I had the time of my life. Um, uh, I was the first uh, homegrown partner of a, of a group called Digital Ventures. And, and again, we were in, in the inter intersection of technology, venture capital and corporate America. So because of that, I, I participated in a bunch of projects on the fintech space and then on retail. Um, I moved to Melbourne, Australia with my family for a year, lived in uh, New Zealand. And obviously, as a consultant for BC in BCG, you travel all around the world. Enough to give me concierge key status still today uh, in American Airlines. And, and obviously, I have a lot of friends who are flight attendants uh, uh, because... Those were my buddies. Every every, yeah. every every Tuesday or every Monday when I went to the airport, it was the same faces, same familiar faces. So uh, so really good days. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. one, <laughs> and, and, and one of my last cases uh, was Lonely Planet. Um, Lonely Planet had hired BCG to understand what to do with the asset. How can we resuscitate it and take it to the next level? And, and I think it was kind of mutual. We both got in love, uh, the company and myself, me with the company and the company with me. And they offered me to stay um, behind and, and stay on, on, on the ground trying to fix things and trying to catapult it to the next chapter. Um, wow. That's, uh, yeah, so, so, so a standard childhood, really, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So can I, can, I, can I just, I know Simon's trying to jump in here. Um, just going back, was there a cusp between yourself being a creative uh, and, and, and business commerce? Because it sounded like at one point when you, when you were growing up, were you going to always go down the, um, oh, you are creative, but I was going to say, what, what, what was your biggest calling? Create, creation uh, or, or business? I think that uh, I'm driven by creation if I had to choose any of these two. I think that I'm driven by building product. That's for sure. I'm passionate about it. No matter what the product is, you'll find my, uh, I will always find myself building something. Actually, one of the first things that I did recently after selling Lonely Planet was I enrolled into college again and took a online uh, coding. I went into coding school. Wow. So I graduated yeah. from Vanderbilt like uh, a few months ago um, because I wanted to refresh my my skills and God, it has evolved so much. Everything, all the HTML stuff that I was talking to you about early on, it, it has changed so much. Yeah. Uh, and with Node.js and JavaScript and all these fun stuff. So kind of freshen up my my knowledge. But but again, to go back to the question, I think I'm driven most mostly by creation. And I've been very, very, very lucky to find businesses that can be ben that can benefit from this creation. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Did you do you know all these roles around the world? Argentina, New York, Boston, all these jobs that you were doing for all these different organizations. Did you did you go to them or did they come to you? I think it was more like an organic. You meet someone yeah. at a job, and then that someone thinks that you're a good fit for this. And 
early on it was with the same company, uh, the same consulting firm. Then uh, and then with BCG, with BCG it was all over the place. But I think it's organic and it's all about relationships and who the like who you meet and try to follow up every mm -hmm. now and then and and and, and keep keep a a, a a big network of people. And did you, did your wife go with you all the time every time you were moving? Yes, we are high school sweethearts. So oh wow, that wow. So wow. she 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 has been my rock, and she has been pretty much the uh, the reason and the motivation to keep going forward. Uh, my wife has two MBAs. Um, she did it in Barcelona. Uh, she's also from Mexico City, but mm -hmm. she she basically has been supporting me and and joining me in all these adventures and. So, so my kids, we have two kids and they were both, both born in New York City and they, they started going to New York, Washington, Mexico, LA, uh, Miami, Melbourne. So one of the greatest things that I think that I have given to my kids has been the ability to adapt yeah. and, and thrive and have, uh, it, it, don't take it the wrong way, but have a, not a very thick skin when it comes to develop new friendships and just yeah. move on and and they're able to walk into a room and try to be friends with with people so yeah. that that has been fantastic yeah that's well that's because that that's what you've given them because you've been able to move around and you've experienced in all these different countries that you've gone to and and we know this only too well like working for the airlines that that's what it gives you like you go to all these different countries you meet all these amazing people and it just broadens your mind and you just experience so, so many amazing things. And just like what you've said there, you're able to walk into a room and then you, you're able to so somehow you, you fit in. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's, but it's such a cool thing to be yeah. able to, like, you know, to go through that. And, and fit in and being able to appreciate and respect the differences. Mm -hmm. uh, and it has been quite an experience. Now we live in Tennessee. So we yeah. sometimes joke about that we finally made it to America. Yeah. This is, <laughs> yes. this, is, this is real. Um, oh, wow. So it's a, it's a, it's, it has been very, very different from New York or Miami or L.A. So wow. I bet the shopping's not as good in Tennessee than what it is in uh, New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's all online, I suppose. But um, yeah. um, I was going to say, so, take it back. So, so you, you had a sort of mutual agreement with the uh, a Lonely Planet, and uh, many of us will know. Uh, including my sort of own children. Uh, Lonely Planet was a, a massive, massive influence on, uh, let's say, almost hippie culture during the sort mm -hmm. of uh, uh, 70s. Um, and uh, Julie, uh, my uh, other half, uh, when she travelled the world, um, Nepal, Tibet, there, there was no other publication. And obviously this is uh, pre-web days as well how much was, was the magazine a um in as a magazine the, sorry, the books an influence on you uh in your younger days when you were sort of even looking to uh sort of trap tra travel around did it have an impact on you <laughs> are we frozen it's <laughs> a major impact he's frozen <laughs> oh no well, hopefully come back. What I might do... You could ask that is, question to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what I might do... We've lost those for a second. So what I might do is bring them out and hopefully uh, a re-established connection. 
Hopefully it'll come bigger. Well, Simon, what a shame that was because this seems to happen on our international one, which also shows sometimes you can't beat the uh, print media as well. But this is the nature of the beast. Sometimes we uh, record. He'll be back in a minute. He'll be back in a minute. Oh, believe me, we haven't finished, but that was a warm warming up uh, question there. Um, but, you know, Simon was asking me before the show what my love for Lonely Planet is. Now, I'm not a great traveller, but... Uh, Julie is, but we have copy upon copy of the Lonely Planet upon our bookshelves, and and you, you know it has been a massive massive influence on people. Um, I mean, you used it yourself when you went to, to Manchester uh, once, didn't you? Yeah, I'm just as, as I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, Simon used it to sort of navigate the streets of Manchester. Uh, it can be a very lonely uh, place there, but I hope. Here he comes. There Let's bring go, him back Jackie. in. Hello. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, I no, came no, to the no. office because connection was going to be stable, but no, uh, I, I, I thought I offended you. I was halfway through the question, and when I was waiting for it, so uh, I, I, I just delivered a very good monologue uh, there. So I'm not sure how much of that last question you actually you you actually heard. Not a lot. Oh, okay. Oh, damn, it was so good. Honestly, I, it was uh, it was almost. In its delivery, I was so pleased with myself. Uh, okay, right, I shall start again. Um, you, so, you started um, talking about Lonely Planet being in I, the hippie trail. That's it, yeah. And it, again, it had such a, a massive influence of travelers at that time. And, and remembering uh, a lot of the hippie trail then could even travel to places like uh, Afghanistan and the far reaches there, obviously changed. Now, I, I was wondering, what was did it have an influence on you when you were younger? Obviously, you knew of the books. Uh, but how much was it involved in your in, in, in your life? Uh, yes. The, when I did my first solo trip to Europe, I had my 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 backpack was heavy because of the books. Yeah. Uh, not, there were only probably a couple of pair of jeans and then a bunch of different books. So I was I was aware of the brand and I and I was uh, and I knew how useful the guidebooks were. Uh, when I came in, so it, it was kind of also kind of a, another dream come true. So there's these these times in my career when you just don't say no. When it was yeah. go to Argentina, go to WPP, go start your own business, go and work for BCG, lead Lonely Planet is one of those moments in which there's absolutely no way of saying no. Um, and because of all the significance and all the memories that that this brand evoked. And, and knowing that I could be part of that story and and help this brand just thrive through through the digital age, and that's where the the my challenge started. Um, honestly. So so so, so mm -hmm. what was your what was your brief for the Lonely Planet that came to you? Because um, I say you, you you spent two very very productive years there. Um, did they deliver you a brief, or did you suggest a, a brief to them? No, no, no. They just opened the door and then they pushed me in the inside. They <laughs> locked the door. Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> um, I came in and it was a company with more than 300 employees in about seven different locations. Melbourne, Ireland, London, San Francisco, Tennessee, uh, uh, an office in China, another in India. So worldwide expansion uh, or worldwide presence. And, and it was a company that has been trying to figure out its way into the digital space for quite some time. After Tony and Maureen the Wheelers 
sold it to the VBC, one of the primary drivers was, you know what, this is getting too digital. Let's have someone else do it. And that's when the BBC bought it. And the BBC didn't do a lot of it. They kind of just let it sit. And that's when my my current uh, partner and my, my boss, the the individual who bought the company from the BBC, um, brought it in. And, and there was an, a previous CEO before I was here that was trying to do a lot of the digital stuff happen. Um, but when I came in, I saw a company that had so many needs, so many employees with uh, unfulfilled either promises or with different visions. So there was, it seemed to me like there were seven different Lonely Planets uh, all around. Yeah. Um, and, and there was this kind of, um, it was more like a cult in which the guidebook will always rule the business, which is true. The guidebook was... It's, 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 it's the core and the, na the, the most important asset in the company was the guidebook. Mm -hmm. However, the guidebook had not evolved and, and they were always trying to say, should we just do the digital guidebook? Well, not really. It's a different use case. You buy a guidebook for one particular trip, a website, it's, some, it's a place where you want to come in frequently. So two very different use cases. They were never, never able to, uh, to close that gap and find what's the digital version and the value proposition of Lonely Planet. Um, so, and then at the same time, it was not treated as a business. So going back to the creativity versus business, this is, this is a moment in which business was a little bit more relevant because it felt more like it was a, a public assistance type of company. Mm -hmm. Like it was a public service. And, and, and revenues and profits were never discussed. And we were like, we're just going to create another guidebook and in this new country. And we never cared about how much money it was going to be making and if it was actually feasible. Um, so, so that's when I came in and tried to make sense out of, okay, let's try to keep costs under control and try to think that this is a business. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the month, I, we, we need to pay all these 300 people and... We need to be able to produce a business that pays. Um, so we did a lot of changes. And, and, and one of the first things that I did was uh, after learning our tech stack and the technology that we were using, I quickly realized that we were behaving more like as a, as a software factory. And that's a, that's a temptation that and a trap, I would say. And we were not. Our business is not to develop software. Yeah. A company like Lonely Planet should be using top-of-the-line enterprise solutions, but that are already tested and commercially available. You implement, you use it, and then you dedicate to do your own thing instead of chasing bugs or trying to develop a new content management system on your on your own. There's no need for that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty out there that you should be using. So that's what that was probably one of the first things that I did. I said, like, let's stop developing custom software because we had a team about 60 developers that instead of creating value, they were just addressing technical debt. And that was kind of the name of the game. Like every morning they were just trying to fix bugs and trying to get out a new feature or a little release that it's going to be an incremental value um, to the company. So we said, let's stop that. Let's bring in uh, off the shelf, big solutions, try to migrate into that so we can focus on the traveler needs and try to understand how travel has evolved mm -hmm. and and what's the role of lonely planet now that 
do we need to stay in this alternative travel only, which is backpackers and, and in a shoestring? Or is there a larger value proposition that Lonely Planet can bring to all sorts of travelers? And mm -hmm. that's where that's 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 a, the the path that we decided to explore early yeah. on. What 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 kind of um, resistance? Um, obviously, when a new CEO goes go, goes into the company, um, that you're always going to get people who 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 like the way it's always been run. They're very sort of negative to change. Where was the resistance yeah. coming from? Was it coming from the um, software people that tried before? Or was it from, say, the the, the journalists, the, the sort of travelers before? Oof, I think that once you take the role, you're the stupidest person because everyone everyone knows <laughs> everyone knows better than you for sure yeah. what yeah. the right strategy is and what this company needs. So you, you you start from the ground knowing that everyone knows more than you, uh, and yeah. and and resistance came from different places. Um, most of the uh, Culturally speaking, again, it was very, it gravitated towards the guidebooks and the guidebooks were, it, it's such a perfect process that shouldn't be touched. And that was hard. When you look yeah. at, hey, we can optimize this process. No, 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 no. This is the way we assemble the books. And that's the way we have assembled it for the last X number of years. And don't touch it because we've spent so much. And there's a lot of knowledge embedded into that process that needs to be respected. But most of the decisions or the decisions were driven again by the way we were doing things, not the way we should reinvent um, how to work. So there was a group of um, of writers, which, by the way, they were not employees. Out of these 300 yeah. people, the writers are freelancers. They're not yeah. oh, in these 300. Right. Okay. So Lonely Planet has access to a very large pool of writers that we commission those books to people and they go out, they do their research, they take notes, they come back. And then we have editors assembling the book and putting it together and then producing the, the actual physical product. But it's a large organization. And then these people basically decide the editorial tone and what gets covered and what's not. They obviously get briefed by our editors, but the decision at the end of the day, it's whoever is taking notes is driving a lot of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So trying to steer away from, hey, I don't want you to cover Disneyland, but can yeah. we try to be a little bit more uh, open to experiences that are not that backpacking type of experiences? Yeah. That, that, for example, is just one example that of, of resistance. And then the people doing software, obviously, like no one likes to learn that, hey, the product that you have been building for the last two years we're going to have to shut it down. So there was a lot of resistance as well from, mm -hmm. from that end. Um, so it was, it, it, it was tough at the beginning, uh, but I think that probably within a year, people realized that, okay, this is kind of making sense. We started getting a lot more traction. Um, our, our traffic went up and we're starting to have a little bit more revenue. So things were falling into the right place. And then COVID happened. Yeah. Of, yeah. Well, of course. You always have COVID. Of course. Just one. Just before we dip into yeah, yeah, COVID. What one one final thing? When you were raising capital um, to 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 buy the lonely lonely planet, not so you, the shareholders. What, what would you say it was the sort of mixture of new people who were just after uh, income, or were some of the shareholders have a genuine interest in what the lonely planet? 
is and what it could become? Well, I was I, I never raised money to buy Lonely Planet. I was brought in by the by the previous shareholder of Lonely yeah. Planet, uh, and there was only one shareholder. So he brought me in to look at the asset, and he he was really and he was genuinely interested on this brand. It's a it's a fantastic brand that oh, yeah, has absolutely so much equity. There's there's very little things that you can say bad about Lonely Planet. So think about Nike, Apple, yeah. one of these big brands. And in a minute, we can we can start discussing seven things that they should be doing differently. Yeah. And why they're not good with environment and labor and this and that. Now think about Lonely Planet. There's absolutely nothing mm -hmm. that you can say that it's wrong or evil about Lonely Planet. Mm -hmm. It's totally the opposite. So that 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 alone has a lot of brand equity and the steam it of, of the people it's 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 really nice and the the previous shareholder also appreciates the fact that the more people connect to each other in different cultures and different places and and people get out of their zip code to to see the world the better and more educated citizens we will have and less problems in the world so there was always this aspect of travel as an as a force of good uh, behind all of the efforts. So, mm -hmm. and, and for the same reasons, uh, we always try to be non-controversial. We didn't get into any politics or, or activism. Uh, we were supportive of climate, of course, but when it comes to animals, we don't touch animals. We respect animals. So there was a lot of good uh, energy embedded into the brand. And that was driven from 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 the shareholder all the way down to all of the employees. So that that worked a lot, uh, and it was and it was nice. I've I've got yeah. to say, like uh, I mean, I hadn't really, even though I come from a background of travel. <clears throat> excuse me, I'd never really heard that much about Lonely Planet in the past, and it wasn't until Trevor was t telling us about it, and then when I've gone to my friends and my family, and I went, "Do you know much about Lonely Planet?" and the experiences, I mean, I work for the ambulance service now and uh, just the, the lady who I work with, Carol, she went to Australia and she was over there for a couple oh. of years and she was like, the Lonely Planet, she says, I never went anywhere without my Lonely Planet guide. And like, it's had such an impact and it's it's so many people have like, have, have sworn by it, you know, like it's just, everyone seems to know about it except for me. So I don't know where I've, I've been. You know about it now. Yeah, I know. We're like, <laughs> I, I was so amazed how many people actually, of course, Lonely Planet, even my daughter, I was I was telling my daughter, she's 13, I went, do you know much about the Lonely Planet? She went, of course I do. I'm, of course I do. You know, I'm like, well, sorry. You know, <laughs> can I just, I just want to go back a little bit when you were saying before that you'd packed your two pairs of jeans and loads of books in your rucksack and you went up to Europe. So what was that? Were you going to Europe just to like for an experience, just to like you know, like uh, like see see the whole of Europe, or was that work? And if when you did go to Europe, tell us what your favorite place was that that blew your mind. Oh wow! Um... I know it wasn't Newcastle because you've never been. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went. Uh... Very early when in college, so it was kind of a a backpack trip. Uh, not I was you go on your own with a friend. 
Right. I, I met with a friend uh, and we both were like just roaming around and we met some other friends that were already there. And cool. that was in, what was it? Uh, the World Cup in France, 1998. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, so that, was, that was a year because I was in Paris the day of the final. No way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow. yeah. It, was, it was crazy. What an experience. Um, so, so obviously because of that, I love Paris. And yep. that's the place where I got engaged as well. Wow. Uh, so after a few years, I, I, I planned everything to propose my wife uh, in Paris. So I have a lot of heart and, and, and good memories from about Paris. Mm -hmm. um, I speak enough French to be able to get a croissant and a coffee. And that's probably as much as I need. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> um, uh, I also enjoy Barcelona a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then the rest of all of the cities, like I think that every single city, anywhere from Brussels, London, obviously, uh, all the cities were, were just magnificent. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, and, I, and I enjoyed so much. And I remember just looking to my travel book and trying to find where I'm going to wash my clothes and then where's the next hotel. Uh, hotel. Yeah. And... And, and where to get a, a cheap beer uh, yeah. without breaking the bank. So uh, I do remember those days fondly. Um, Brilliant. And then when I come back now, I, I'm not no longer going in, in a, with a backpack. And that's where I believe that Lonely Planet, just like me, uh, there's many other people that are no longer backpacking. And I think yeah. that there's a place where Lonely Planet can still contribute with good advice, that it's friendly, uh, that is well-reviewed and it's not commercially driven. One mm -hmm. of the things that Lonely Planet has is that there was no way of paying your way in to be featured in Lonely Planet. It was all based on the writers and, mm -hmm. and we do not accept advertising on the guidebook mm -hmm. uh, listings. So so that that was something that I still believe it's, it's still present. So building that trust with, with the users, it's uh, it's hard, and but it's very valuable. And, and how important would you say uh, travel is and experiencing different things and, and, and going out of your comfort zone and going to all these different countries? How, how important would you say travel is like as an education and, and like for, for, for an individual out there, like in life? Yeah, uh, I think that travel keeps evolving. Uh, in the past, it was about places and destinations. So you, you think I'm going on a vacation, you were thinking I'm going on a beach or a cruise and try to relax. And I think that travel has evolved into more uh, into self-discovery and connections and being more aware of the outside. So, and I think it's very positive. Um, and what I think that, uh, and one of the things that I'm doing right now with budget travel is trying to take that same approach, but in a domestic fashion. So one one big opportunity that but that Lonely Planet had was because they want to talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. We were sending all the time people to Asia, right? Yeah, uh, into the hippie trail or Europe or in these fantastic destinations, and not everyone has access to do international trips. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let me let, let's say five percent of the population can do that. What happens to the all? the 20% under that maybe they have a couple hundred bucks. You still want them to invite them to go out of there, at least from their zip code. 
go to yeah. the next state because you can still have these amazing experiences in your backyard. Go into your same city or go to an adjacent city like two or three hours away from you. Just push people to travel, learn. Uh, and, and I think it's uh, it's a mission mm -hmm. that, that we should not just basically not forget about that. So travel is not only reserved for those who who dare to do backpacking or those who can afford to do international trips. Mm -hmm. I think that travel can have many different manifestations and domestic local travel, I think it's it's more relevant today than ever uh, for obvious reasons for COVID and many other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even in the UK alone over the last two years, because of all the restrictions regarding COVID and international travel, the, the holidays just, it, it, never, it never saw anything like it in, in its in decades where people have been going to just four or five hours down the road and they're discovering some magical places on their doorstep, mm -hmm. you know? But, but I, I think, unfortunately, in the UK, the like some of those holidays in the UK is still very expensive and sometimes mm. it's cheaper to actually go on a plane and, 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 and go to a foreign country. The, the need to kind of like have a look at it, I think, in the UK and make it more affordable for people because sometimes some of the prices are crazy to hire to hire like a cottage for a few days or or even the real travel in the UK. It's so expensive, yeah. Louis. It's the need to like do something to promote kind of like you know business and and for people to enjoy like in their own country. Yeah. Which which hopefully will take us on to your next venture, your 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 current venture now. Um it started well. The actual company, I believe, started in 1998. Budget travel uh, with the uh, tagline "Vacations for Real People." Mm -hmm. How did you get involved in this? And and did part of your experience with the Lonely Planet uh, sort of persuade you to go down the travel route, or was that always going to happen anyway? No, no, no. It was totally because of Lonely Planet. Actually, budget budget travel was, as you pointed out, born in 1998. Actually, I brought like props. This is issue number one. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, with with a, a cutout of an old newspaper when it was released. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and and soon after it was launched, it was bought by Newsweek, and they have ten glorious years in America, and it became kind of a very America's favorite travel magazine. It was impossible to go to the Walmart or the Publix or any grocery store and not see the, this magazine on the checkout aisle wow. or the rest of the magazine. So it's yeah. it has a lot of brand recognition in the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. um, then it was bought by an investor that most of his businesses went broke, including budget travel, not because of the performance of the brand. It was just a matter of the consolidation of the business. And then Lonely Planet bought budget travel in oh. 2014, I believe, um, which... My advice as a consultant back then would have been don't touch it. Like you still have, yeah, like yeah. you have so many other things to solve of your own. Why do you want to bring in another nice brand under the umbrella? But they did it. Uh, I wasn't here. And budget travel was always a real valuable asset, but was never a priority inside Lonely Planet. We always had something more urgent, something bigger to deal with. And and this brand just kind of grew in the corner by itself. Um, so as we were preparing to um, 
to sanitize the company after COVID. We we started either taking some hard decisions and closing certain offices. And we also divested budget travel out of the, we spin it off from budget travel, uh, from Lonely Planet. So it was sitting on the side. And then after the after we sell Lonely Planet, I basically said, hey, remember that we put on this corner budget travel, let me go and, and take it out for a spin. Uh, <laughs> and, and we basically rebuild the, the entire site with a new value proposition with this focus on vacations for real people. And, and that I think it was really powerful. And at least I enjoy every time I'm, we're trying to write articles, we're trying to stay away from the influencers putting, posting pictures of yeah. an infinity pool and a glass of champagne and a perfectly mm -hmm. matte pedicure like beach. That That's not what real people vacations are. Like talk to the single mom of three that has $300 in her pocket and mm -hmm. wants to take their kids out and yeah. you're showing them just Bali and Maldives. You're like, yeah. ain't gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nothing yeah. happen. But we are trying to fill that space in which, hey, you that you can only have $400. There's all these great places in America. And we put all in a map in, on the website, you can see them. More than 2,000 DMOs, the destination marketing organizations in the, in the United States. And each one of these dots is responsible for promoting tourism in their area. Mm -hmm. And no one was yeah. actually, there was, there's no one in the industry trying just talking to them. So this is kind of a renewed focus, which is an, at a domestic scale. We don't want budget travel to be a global brand at this time. We want to be US focused, trying to give you advice of where to go, two, three hours away from you, take, take a road trip. And these are the great places, museums and unique places in the US that you can visit uh, and it's it, and it's taking off really nicely. So, so the site, uh, as we speak, is being just we're finishing a few final touches. We're going to go into promotion mode, and most likely we're going to also seek for a buyer um, yeah. down the road. I think that some of these brands have so much potential that they need to be in the hands of people that that want to invest and want to stay for uh, for a longer term. Mm -hmm. um, which in my in my in my particular case is not is not that one. I still have many other ventures with my with my partner to to figure out. But uh, today it's all about fixing and putting this in the market, and in the meantime trying to find this unique value proposition, and and, and we're succeeding at it. Do, do you well, still get quite excited because like I'm, I get the feeling that like you've got way more to 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 achieve. In an experience, you're very busy. You're a very busy man. Very and busy. Uh, do you get quite excited just to the thought that it's like, they, whatever job you're doing, you know that's not going to be the last one that you're doing. That there's, who knows what's around the corner? Like you know, it's like it's 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 like endless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, that that that's exactly the feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, as we as we're building this, I'm I'm involved in some other things, and because of my bubble chaser nature. I'm trying to get my head grab around all these NFT and crypto space, for example. That yeah. <laughs> the only way to the only way to get into this space is by understanding is not going to make any sense, and then and then you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I'm 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 always looking for uh, for new challenges, and I have been blessed to have the support of my family and and find partners, uh, business partners, and commercial partners that are willing to explore those. Uh, mm -hmm. But 
but but these two brands, Lonely Planet and Budget Travel, are definitely gonna leave a big scar on me in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, yeah. In and and I'm so happy and I'm proud of of the work that we did at LP and 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 the fact that we survived COVID. Mm-hmm. The company yeah. had Lonely Planet had its first kind of wake up moment in 9/11 when all yeah. all planes went down and yeah. no one was traveling. Those were tough days for the company, but it didn't last it as long as COVID. So mm-hmm. then the second assassination attempt happened with COVID, yeah. and assassination attempt. And boy, this was this was more than a year, and 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 then the name of the game was "Don't Die." It was yeah. it was it was all about don't let this great brand just die and and try to. I'm fixing it at the same time. I'm put in a position where someone with a bigger muscle, more resources, and more patience than my current group will be able to take it on to the next level. Mm-hmm. And someone that can leverage other assets in their network. We as a as a as a group, we don't have any other adjacencies to leverage. So mm-hmm. we found that this great partner, Red Ventures, who bought the company, and they have so many other toys. Uh, to, to, to play with and, and and put Lonely Planet into the map again and take fully realize that early vision that we stated on on how to do how do you bring it to the digital age. Yeah. So so wow. it's been it's it's been quite a journey. I, I love the, I love the, the that that line don't die <laughs> because it's, <laughs> yeah it, it's so apt I mean like like obviously we're tied with airlines, you know, all airlines, and that's what not just crews all about, you know. And we promote like everything to do with travel and cabin crew, and like the airline that Travel works for, and the company that I used to work for, they must have had that meeting. Everybody got in there, and like Sir Richard must have been in there and go, "Listen, let's not die. We'll do whatever it takes." And luckily, the the, the thought outside of the box and cargo was a big saviour, mm-hmm. uh, keeping the airline afloat, and obviously putting money into the into the airline of his own money which was which was which was phenomenal but like the cargo route it it, it kind of saved the airline didn't it you know as it did the many other airlines and and they haven't died uh, they have survived and let's just hope everything picks up and everyone can move forward you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i, I think they will because i mean everyone seems to have a love of travel that's what's going to take you on to uh almost one of my last questions where do you see the industry going in 20 years and do you really see uh, space travel as being a uh, or space tourism uh, as a viable uh, travel market oh wow um curveball yeah yeah <laughs> um i believe that uh business travel I think has been permanently changed. Um, back then, maybe two or three years ago, we'll be trying to get into the same room, the three of us, to have this conversation in the studio. Mm-hmm. Years yeah. later, we all hu- humans learn how to work remotely, and and we figure it out. It's not perfect, but it works. So mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see a permanent reduction of business travel. Now, people will start moving as as soon as we. We, we get a hold of this uh, pandemic. I think people will now start to move again. And the fact that you can now work and live in different places, I think that's going to just increase over time. And we'll see more people moving around. 
so and not concentrating in large cities um in the short term i i do believe that we're going to keep looking at these bubbles u.s domestic maybe mexico and caribbean uh australia new zealand another one asia another one so we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of uh, of how these bubbles start picking up travel and then longer term mm, if i have two bubbles vr ar metaverse versus space tourism i believe yeah. that the first one will be first to be picked yeah. up mm -hmm. um i think it's it'll be fantastic to ride a rocket but it's more like a jumping into a roller coaster and feel the thrive but once you're up there i'm pretty sure that it's a magnificent view but there's not a lot more to do no <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah. And, whereas, and cost and cost and and risk and 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 whereas i can see people putting a headset and being able to be in machu picchu yeah. and if technology keeps evolving imagine going to some sort of a room where you can actually feel the air a little bit of like a, a full sensory experience wow uh i do believe that that's that's where we're going to go in the next 20 years um, yeah yeah that's uh that is quite a I say wow. scary thought. It's not scary. It's it's just because this. When I was growing up, I was born in the sixties. Uh, Star Trek seemed a dream away, but these things are actually happening. I mean, it can, just the fact that you know you're in America. I'm in uh, Nigeria. Simon's uh, in, in in the UK. And apart from one, yeah, uh, apart from one glitch, I mean, the the, the signal's been quite amazing. And I could have even managed uh, even imagined this what 10, 10 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, if it wasn't been very, been a very hazy screen, but no, this 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 is this is absolutely amazing. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, quite scary. Look, because I, I know I know we've got to wrap wrap up soon, so I'm going to offer the Simon the chance for one last uh, question. Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's because I love I love aeroplanes, and it's clear you do because you you cannot oh. stay in one country for longer than two years. You're always hopping on planes and going places. What is your most, like, kind of, uh, what what's experience do you love the most about being on the aeroplane? Other than obviously getting on to get to where you need to go, what's your what's your favourite experience? Uh, getting in the lounge. Yeah, getting yeah, getting to the lounge and, 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 and no, seeing a friendly face. Mm -hmm. uh it's always it, it's always nice like I, would want, how, I mean the crew is so important on that to like anybody's experience on board the aircraft i used i used to really be disappointed if if i'd ever speak to anybody and that flew with like the airline that i was i was like tied to and they said they had a bad experience and nine times out of ten it was it was maybe the crew you know who like you know they weren't as friendly or something i'd be so disappointed so the impact that crew can have on somebody's experience on board an aircraft is just so vital yeah. that for customers to keep coming back and and to keep to keep like the the airlines afloat, you know. And when I was going back and forth between Melbourne and LA, I made good friends with a lot of the crew because you're 15 hours on a plane. Yeah. Um, and they were my informal kind of Lonely Planet guidebook. They were yeah. the ones telling me, "You go here, you go there, you avoid this." Uh, so it was, I, I, it was a part of the journey that I was always looking, uh, looking for, uh, being yeah. able to just talk and hang out, uh, with, with some of the crew. Um, 
And what was the other question? So well, it just leads us on to, to what you were just saying there, because we have a close connection with this company called Doors to Manual, who are a travel concierge company mm -hmm. uh, for holidays. And it's it's run by cabin crew who, like, you know, they, they might still work for the airline as well. Or some have, like, obviously gone on, they've left now and they're doing that full time. But they know, like, the holidays that they're selling, they've been, they're the eyes and ears, they've been to these places and they can give the potential holiday purchaser all the inside information of, that little restaurant that nobody knows about, you know, mm. secret beach when, you know, you have it to your to yourself, you know, all this inside information that the, the crew have and they're able to offer these holidays to, to the public. It's great. Yeah, no, that sounds 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 amazing. And I think it's it's right on track. I wish I was still in LP without COVID. And that's probably one of the places that I would definitely uh, would be looking to uh, imagine a guidebook written by uh, just Cruz. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't want to hear that. Not just Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you heard it first here. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I've got one final question. Uh, yeah. It may or may not be relevant because I, I know you're a busy man. Taking you back yourself back to 1998, touring Europe, uh, you came to London. Uh, a lot of backpackers... Uh, from the Americas never seem to go up north. Now, is that because of an influence of a film called American Werewolf in London and a certain pub called The Slaughtered Land? Hmm. Have you no, seen the uh, film? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Uh, but I, I, I don't, uh, probably I'm not well equipped to answer that question, but... Good film. Uh, I would say that it's just because there's so much other stuff to do in in Europe that uh, there's a, there's a limited time and, and yeah. the, you, you try to seek those quick connections and quick experiences and probably going all the way up North, uh, it yeah, kind of deviates you, um, from it, but, but I don't, I honestly don't know. Oh, well, there you go. Homework for you. Watch the American werewolf in London. I think it was about all, what you think about 1981. Brilliant yeah, film. Brilliant, brilliant film. Up, when you do kind of like start heading up north and get away from London, there's like, especially in the area that I live, there's like every five miles there's a castle. They're all on the coastlines and there's castles all the way down the coastline. And it's uh, it's it's like a hidden gem. And like people who come from down south and to visit the northeast of England, they're all blown away by the coastline and just it's like steeped in history. But like this, this is exactly what you're doing with the budget travel on your doorstep. Mm -hmm. People can experience things that are only two hours away. You know, yeah. you know, for, for, for such a, a small price, it's a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, there was this company, Rough Guides, which you probably know. As oh the, yeah, the other yeah. guide company. I believe that they had uh, created some sort of guidebook in the xbox because xbox the the video games they feature edinburgh and the castles yeah. very frequently and i remember that rough guides had something around extend extended information about uh those places um so that'll be something interesting to look at again um mm -hmm. it just reminded me excellent right well, thank you so much it's it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to chat with you and we really appreciate your time, uh, and uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you from not. Just uh, 
Absolutely, yeah. Once again, thank you so much for so, taking the time out to spend some time with us. And obviously, uh, we will watch your uh, venture with uh, great, great interest. But yeah, once again, Lewis, thank you so, so much for joining us. No, and, thank you for uh, inviting me, guys. Good luck been great. for the future and all of our love to your family and stay safe over there. Yeah, thank you. And let's stay, stay in touch. Will do. Thank, oh, definitely. Thank you. Oh, there's my aeroplane got flying.